0: You're listening to Search for Truth. I'm delighted to welcome you on behalf of our Bible teacher Brian Johnston and everyone else in our studio. Thanks for tuning in. This week Brian brings us the third Fence Post Turtle Talk, and Brian will remind us what it means, of course. In our character studies of this series of programmes we're looking today at a lady whose name is also the title of one of the books in the Old Testament, and of course it's Esther. So now, let's hear from Brian. Thanks, John. In
1: the Bible, we come across many fence post turtles, if we may in that way refer to people who didn't get into the position they found themselves to be in by their own efforts, but it was God who put them there in that position, just as someone might place a turtle on a fence post. It can't get there by itself, but someone puts it there. Well, one such fence-post turtle, the one we'll be thinking about today, was Esther, the Jewish orphan who rose to become the unlikely queen at the pinnacle of a Gentile world empire. The story of Esther is one of the most remarkable stories in the Bible. It has all the intrigue and as many twists as a modern thriller. Dark forces of evil... In opposition to the good, swirl around the lead character, some have classed the whole drama as a rags-to-riches or even a peasant-to-princess type of adventure. You certainly get the unmistakable impression as the book progresses that a sense of destiny is interwoven throughout all the varied circumstances that Esther encounters. At first she's orphaned, then adopted, then she's selected for and finally chosen by the king of Persia to be his new queen. There may have been a thousand other contestants. Why was Esther chosen from an ethnic minority grouping across the vast Persian Empire to be the next queen? Was it mere chance? Was it simply because she was the most beautiful? Or was this her date with destiny? We're told that last idea was her cousin's understanding of what was happening. The story as we'll see it unfold is one in which Esther is enabled to find favour with the king, and then goes on to use that favour to achieve God's purpose for her people. Every believer on the Lord Jesus is in a position to recognise the grace God's already shown to them. Was that promotion at work or that successful relocation purely down to our own efforts? Or do we acknowledge the hand of God behind it? But without any more comment, let's launch ourselves into the story of Esther. Persian Queen Vashti had fallen into disfavour. We read, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought into the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to him, who had the charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favour, Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. So far, we've discovered that this Jewess, Esther or Hadassah, to call her by her Jewish name, had been orphaned and then adopted, and now had been selected to participate in the contest to find the next Queen of Persia. At first reading, that might seem to have a kind of fairy tale glamour about it, but in reality it must have been very far from that. True, they probably got clothes, jewellery and perfumes they'd never otherwise have had access to. Anything she wanted, it says. But out of the possibly hundreds of girls, only one would be chosen. The others might never see the king again but they'd hardly be allowed to return to normal life, would they? Here are the first indications of God's hand arranging things in Esther's favour. No sooner than she's introduced to Hegai, the man in charge of all the contestants, than she finds favour with him. And we'll see that will prove a small but helpful step towards finding favour with the king. Because she pleases Hegai, he's prepared to accommodate her special dietary requirements – It's at this point we might make a connection with the story of Daniel, who when he was brought as a captive to Babylon also found favour and was able to avoid food which he as a Jew would have had scruples about eating. Presumably it's something similar here with the Jewess Hadassah when brought into the citadel of Susa. In a sense she was a captive too. She wasn't there of her own free will. But behind the will of the king's agents there was the sovereign will of Almighty God did you notice how it was that Esther won the favour of all who saw her, including the king especially? When the turn came for Esther, the girl that Mordecai had adopted, when it was her turn to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes, into the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now it says, in verse 17, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she found his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. That's chapter 2. It's in chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Esther that the story takes a dramatic turn and we find a life and death struggle at the heart of the Persian royal court, four centuries before Christ. We're about to discover why God has been pleased to oversee Esther's rise to royal position in the mighty Persian Empire. History would seemingly indicate that King Xerxes had personally led his troops into a disappointing invasion of Greece immediately after his marriage to Queen Esther, some time went by before he returned to his palace at Susa. Perhaps the king's absence paved the way for one man to accumulate incredible power and influence. Chapter 3 of the Book of Esther tells us about him. After these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. That's Esther chapter 3 at the beginning. This set the scene for the showdown. This paved the way for a huge overreaction by Haman that seriously threatened the destruction of all Jews throughout the empire. Mordecai had not previously asked for Esther's intervention when the matter was personal between him and Haman, but now that the future of the whole nation hung in the balance, he lays it on the line. This is what it says in Esther chapter 4. Do you not think that because you, this is Mordecai speaking to Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Now it's the turn of Esther to demonstrate her faith in God. She called for a fast. Whenever something was of such concern to them that they were prepared to go without food, they were proving their earnestness in the matter which they were bringing before God. Esther knew the protocol of the king's court. In Persia, no one could enter the inner court of the king unless they had been invited, not even the queen. But Esther knew there was a higher court, the court of heaven. It was essential to access the court of heaven by prayer and fasting before attempting to enter the inner court of the king of Persia. Having brought her petition first within heaven's court through prayer, she was then prepared to go against the law of Persia and enter the king's earthly court with her request to spare the life of all her people. And she says, And if I perish, I perish. By any standard, those are remarkable words. She could still have entertained the notion that her royal position and secret identity would guarantee her personal safety, despite Mordecai's warnings but she chose to resign any possible rights of her own and side with her people in order to intercede boldly for them. We've now reached the point in the unfolding drama where Queen Esther reveals her Jewish identity and exposes Haman's plan to exterminate the Jews as being a personal attack on her and on her people. Esther has waited to choose her moment at the second of two private banquets with the king and Haman, the prime minister. This is what we read in Esther chapter seven. The king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request. Aware she'd been placed in the palace by God, Esther used her position to advance God's purpose. And so should we. Let's not forget any sense in which we too are fence post turtles.
0: Thanks, Brian for your talk today and uh, I hope everyone, including me, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it so thank you. Now there's a booklet containing all talks in this series so if you'd like one or more uh, please tell us and ask for the title Fence Post Turtles. Uh, there are also several other methods of accessing past programs and booklets and I'll explain to you in a moment after I've uh, given you the addresses. So I'm about to give you our contact details, and if you've got pen and paper to hand, here they are. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. Our email address is sft at info Now, as I said before the addresses, you can access talks and booklets in other ways, such as by going to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com uh, where you can listen off-air to audio podcast versions, MP3s. Uh, the list of talks which you'll see there has been sorted into categories to assist you to find what you're looking for. And also look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org. And this will give you yet another excellent way of accessing again what you first heard here on uh, air. So that's all we have for today. Many thanks for your company. And next week we look at another Old Testament character, Gideon. So do join us. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you.